Hello and welcome back to the Man You're Not Alone podcast. This will be episode either 76 or 77, depending on how interviews lay out and people's availability. I just finished recording the episode 75, and I'm kind of stacking some up here because I've I've got to put an addition onto my house. My mother is becoming she's you know she's she's getting up in her years. And I need another bedroom for my children because they're getting bigger and packing them into a little tiny room is not the easiest thing for them. And I will not let my mom go into a home. So I am adding a bedroom onto our house for her as well. So that at some point when she feels like she can't, it's maybe better for her not to try to get around alone. Then she'll have a place to come to. So I'm about to whack a hole into the side of the house and start building that. So I know that I'm going to be out of pocket for a little bit. So I need to load up some episodes so I, it can still be going live while I'm working on the addition to the house. I'm just trying to take care of my family because I don't want anybody going into a home unless it's absolutely, absolutely necessary, um, especially somebody in my family. So this is a, this is a real short a real brief one here, and it was spurred by, uh, I was reading the book of John in the Bible this morning, and as I got to chapter 9 and started reading, you know, and I, it was just, it was quiet, it was early, the birds were singing, I had a cup of coffee, and I love reading the Bible. It just pours good back into me, and, and a lot of my world leeches it just drains that good out. The Bible puts it back in. And I personally love the Bible. I think I've made that quite clear throughout this podcast. Maybe you're not a huge fan of it, but maybe you'll find this interesting. Because I I look at things that are, I don't know, sometimes things strike me as unusual. And I've read this book, the book of John, I don't even know how many times. Anyway, so this, I got to chapter 9. Let me just read. It's chapter nine. The the cha- the verses that really stuck out to me are verses four and five, but I'm going to read up to verse five because it gives context. So now it says, "Now as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His dis- his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind? This man or his parents?" And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And it's really verse 4. It's this one. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. To me, that was such an unusual thing. And I'll see if I can if I can put this very concisely. So as I've shared in, in uh, at least one previous podcast episode, not very long ago, positing the question, is it possible that we could be in the in the period after the millennial reign of Jesus? When in Revelation 12 and 20, Satan is loosed upon the earth. He is kicked out of heaven and he is loosed upon the earth for a short time before he is cast in the lake of fire and Jesus wraps this whole thing up. And it's a weird question. It's one that never came up in in seminary. I've never been asked that question. I've never heard anybody ask that question. And that doesn't make me smart. It's just the, 
I, I tend to look at things a little bit different. And I've kind of always been that way. And it doesn't mean that I think I'm right. It's just that sometimes uh, I noticed as I study, you know, I've studied Christian theology, you know, in my master's degree, but also throughout my life, I've I've read enough books to be absolutely exhausted from reading books, which I kind of am at this point. But I, if as I thought this morning about how we handle theology, uh, we have we have I want I, I like conclusion based theology. So the conclusions have already been discerned. I'm just saying this is kind of what strikes me as where we're at. This is kind of the theological discussions that take place. If if you're I'm a nerd. So people have like there if you took a parking lot, like the parking lot already has the parking places painted on it. And now it's just a matter of see the parking places have already been determined. So now it's just a matter of which parking spot you fall into um in the parking spot here is 116th of an inch different than the one to the right of it. It has just a tiny bit of difference. And then the one next to it is just a little bit of a variable from the other two that were there. And you've got this parking lot full of things with these, you know, some slivers of difference between all the ones that are fairly close to it. And then when you get to each end of the parking lot, you've got some pretty big gaps between them, which I would say gives us a decent picture of some of the differences between a lot of denominations where honestly, a lot of the stuff is the difference is that of a sliver. And then you've got other places, you know, other things like um, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Buddhists or whatever, and Christians. And you've got these some pretty big chasms, pretty big belief system differences um, as you get to as you get farther out in that parking lot. But just looking at it from a Christian circle, I've noticed when I bring this question up to people, like, is it possible that we could be in the period after the millennial reign of Christ. And if we were, how would you logically assess that? Because we haven't been taught to ask that question. Like there's not a parking spot for that one. Or there hasn't been. Maybe there is now. I don't know. I don't really keep up with uh, theological discussions these days. Maybe I'm not the only person that's asked that question. But it didn't come from somebody else. Um, it's just something that as I as I kind of explore more of the country for fossil remains and cultural remains and stuff. I love exploring. I, I love exploring with my kids. I've been at it for a lot of years and, and we found a lot of fossils that are things that haven't been identified. Some stuff that's way too freaking big that nobody will believe me that that could even be a fossil, even though it, they clearly say it is when they first see it. And then they say, no, it's too big to be a fossil. Anyway, but that's a that's a totally different tangent, and I don't want to get down that road. But it is in it is my my world view has been enlarged by what I have found, either buried in the ground or washed away from rains that's sitting on the ground, of things that were obviously once living, yet they have not been identified. And if I show them to somebody. They say that they can't be fossils because they haven't been identified yet. It is the most tautological circular argument that I've ever found. And then when I bring this up, is it possible we're in the, after the millennial reign of Christ when Satan has been loosed? 
people inevitably start going to these different parking spots. Well, is that a pre-terrorist view? These are like views of eschatology, like the end of days. Um, and there are things I can't even tell you what they all are anymore because I truly don't care. Um, I don't care about the parking spaces. I don't mind parking over multiple lines at the same time, like parking lengthwise across five parking places. It doesn't matter to me. I want the evidence and the observation to build my perspective. And I do that in the natural world. I do that in historical record. And I try to do that with my theology. And so people have a hard time even processing that question because, or Christians do, because, because that, that's not a defined parking spot. That is, in a, in a parking lot full of straight parking lines, this one is like, it's like all crooked. Like, it, it, it's not the right shape. It's not the right location. It doesn't fit into any predetermined parking spots. But when I read this this morning, I, I can't quite make the connection, but that, that is what came back to my mind. Because for Jesus to say this, so he's already, this is already the Sabbath when he's healing this blind man. And for those of you who are somewhat familiar with the Bible, this is when he puts a little dirt in his hand and he spits in it and makes a, a small paste of mud. And then he rubs it ac across each of, you know, that man's eyes and tells him to go wash at the pool of Siloam. And he rinses that mud off and he can see. And then the church leaders come after Jesus because he healed somebody on the Sabbath because that's what the church leaders did back then. And to some degree, that's what they do today. Not all of them, not by any stretch of the imagination, all of them. But we have not certainly not grown in immunity from that um, or to that. We haven't learned much in that regard, it seems like. Some, people, some pastors and, and leaders have learned a lot from that and are exceedingly gracious and graceful, and they're, they're willing to consider parking spaces maybe that don't look like the rest of the parking spaces, or maybe we mismark some of the parking spaces in the parking lot. But for Jesus to say, we must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. So therefore, I mean, no, I added that, night is coming when no one can work. So Jesus is saying, so it is daytime right now. He's not talking about the Sabbath. Because it's already the Sabbath. So he's not, he's not concerned about having this done before the sun sets on Friday evening. Which is when the Sabbath would commence. And then the Sabbath would end at sunset on Saturday. The seventh day of the week. So it, it's already the Sabbath, which is established in the rest of the chapter. And that's what irritates the church leaders so much is that Jesus has this brazen audacity to heal a blind man during the Sabbath, which they say is like doing work. And so therefore he's some kind of a heretic or he's a, a, a vile man for doing such a good deed on the Sabbath. So when Jesus says this, obviously the period he's in is daytime. He's referring to a period of daytime and they're in it then. But he says that night is coming when no one can work. And this took me to that question again that I can't seem to shake. Are we in the period after the millennial reign of Christ when Satan is loosed for a time upon the earth? Night is coming when no one can work. Well, if I just think logically, and I'm just thinking out loud here, I'm not even saying that I, that I have any certainty in this whatsoever at all, but I try to get the wheels turning so that people use critical thinking skills. Again, it's not that I'm saying I'm right, but we need to not be afraid to ask different kinds of questions. 
because that's how we learn or that's how I learn. I don't, I don't learn by asking the same questions that everybody asks and then accepting just patently the answers that everybody else accepts. Like, sure, most of them fit and that's fine, but not all of them fit. So if they don't fit, maybe the question was wrong or maybe the answer's wrong or maybe the answer's answering the wrong question. I don't know. Night is coming when no one can work. So if Satan has been loosed upon the earth, and if I were to take a guess, somewhere not long before 1825, as random as that sounds, based on just based on what I have been observing in the natural world, as Satan has more time upon the earth, the ability for Christ to move a person's heart to follow him to me seems like it might be on a downward trajectory because the longer Satan is loosed upon the earth, the more he's going to deceive, the more people he's going to deceive, the more people he's going to persuade because he is loosed. And it will become harder and harder as that period, and it's a short time as Revelation says that Satan is loosed for a short time. And I don't know what that means, but I take that to mean it's not a very long time just taking it literally. But as that time progresses, as Satan has more time on the earth being loosed, I would describe that as moving into a period of night when no work, when no one can work. And I, I don't think he means that when no one, when, I don't think Jesus means when no one can work. I th- There's something about the context that says, the work that I am doing here, healing this blind man, the healing work of Jesus. And I don't mean it has to be physical, but the emotional and spiritual healing that Jesus offers to every person who reaches out to him. And he gladly gives it. That that work that he's doing right then in that moment with his disciples, that's who he's talking to, that night is coming when no one can work. There will come a time when this kind of work will no longer fall on fertile soil. The people will be so hardened, so deceived, so blinded, so spiritually and emotionally numb that their hearts will have turned cold and they will no longer even hear Jesus saying, I want to heal you. And then he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So as long as he is in the world, he's the light of the world. Well, Jesus is present in his believers, in his followers. So night is coming when no one can work. It suggests to me there's a period where Jesus backs out of the world. And I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know if that means, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But this is an unconventional, this is a wildly unconventional response to, to the disciples' question. Jesus didn't waste his words. I don't have a conclusion It's just something to think about, something different, a different size parking spot, different shape parking spot, because I think the Bible is an absolutely fascinating book. I think it's entirely unappreciated, and I'm speaking of the Christian world. Christians entirely unappreciate, again, not all, I'm painting with a broad brush, I don't mean everybody, I don't mean every follower of Christ, but I mean a significant portion of the followers of Christ, or they underestimate the value of the Bible and what it can pour into you, the insight that it can give you, 
the depth of things that, just like this, I have probably read at least 50 times in my life, this book. But for some reason, that those two verses never stood out to me until right now, this morning. And now, in light of this question of where we might be in relation to the millennial reign of Christ, those two phrases, those two sentences in response stood out to me as something potentially very significant. And I don't know that they are, but that it just slammed right into that question this morning, which I had not been thinking about. So just something to, to roll around in your head if you choose to. And if you don't, that's up to you. I'm not here to sell you anything. All right, I'll catch you on the next one, and I hope you have a good day.